Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with a focus on biotechnology and new innovations that can help people and the planet. I'm Paul Vincelli, sitting in for Dr. Kevin Falta. Thanks again, Kevin, for the chance to participate. And today we're going to be talking about debt among smallholder farmers in a certain area, a certain region, a certain set of villages in India. Uh, before we introduce today's guest, I, I want to say a little bit about the relationship of the, the general issue of debt um, in Indian farmers and, and um, biotechnology. And, and it's one that certainly has gotten attention and cons- raised concerns over the years. And the concerns were expressed a number of years ago that BT cotton, or cotton engineered to be resistant to the, to the bollworm, uh, actually caused suicides in or faci- facilitated the occurrence of suicides among Indian farmers, Indian cotton farmers. And I, I must say that everyone in the field of molecular biology and, and agricultural production who, who heard about this issue has been concerned. I think certainly in my case, when I first learned about the, this concern that BT cotton may in some way facilitate farmer suicides. I know I drilled down into the literature immediately to find out if there was um, critical evidence in support of this concern. You know, we all want to uh, assure that we do our very best to to support um, uh, healthy and happy lives of all the people in, in our, who are our neighbors, uh, including other countries. I, I can summarize by saying in my experience with the peer-reviewed literature, direct connections between BT cotton uh, to, and suicide have not been apparent in, in what I've seen. And again, I probably have 25, 30 peer-reviewed, mostly peer-reviewed um, items that I've read on the subject. And so so I think um, I feel comfortable that there's not an a obvious direct connection. Um, and, and in fact, if you want to learn more about this perspective, um, go to Talking Biotech Podcast number 43, and Dr. Ron Herring uh, and Dr. Kim and Synapathy will be are, are part of that interview, and that you'll you'll get some good background into this. 
Now, I, I have perceived in the literature that there is some concern that the high cost of inputs, farming inputs like BT, could increase the debt of smallholder farmers and, and therefore pose a risk factor for suicide. And, and even that, I think, uh, based on what I've seen in the literature, that there is some fuzziness as to that relationship as well. It's not clear that there is that relationship, um, but it, there could be. It's, it's certainly plausible. And so uh, I, I know that I'm always interested in, in farmer debt in Indian cotton producers. And so um, when I had a chance to interview today's guest, uh, I, you know, I grabbed it and I want to introduce our guest. Her name is Vaishnavi. Tripuranini. No, I haven't said it right. Vaishnavi, help or Vaish, help us out. Say your last name. You said it perfectly. Okay, so Vaish is a PhD candidate uh, in environment and resources with Dr. Paul Robbins of the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. So Vaish, welcome to the Talking Biotech podcast. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to have you here today. So, um, so let's start by giving our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit. How did you become interested in the topic of farmer? You're, you're going to be talking about farmer debt in um, the state of Telangana in, in a certain set of villages. Yes. And, um, and, and I'll give you a chance to explain all that. But how did you first get interested in this, this topic? Um, so I started my PhD studies with an interest in rural livelihoods in the context of changing environmental conditions. Um, and I wanted to study how communities adapt, especially in India, as that's where I'm from. Mm -hmm. I did some preliminary fieldwork a few years ago as part of a summer fellowship with the Revitalizing Rainfed Agriculture Network in India, where in a group of villages in Telangana, I was asking farmers about their crop choices, why they were growing, what they were growing. Um, and everybody spoke to me about three things, uh, debt, uh, that is indebtedness, mm -hmm. failed bore wells, um, which are a type of tube wells, and that all most small farmers were newly growing cotton. Okay. Uh, so mm -hmm. if you don't mind, Vaish, let me just uh, make sure the listeners understand. Bore wells are the, the, the holes that are basically drilled to be able to pump water out, you know, for irrigation out of the ground. Is that, is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, as you already mentioned, Paul, like in India, a lot of the media rhetoric is about how BT cotton causes farmer suicide, but um, based on that preliminary work of mine, I thought there was much more to the story that it wasn't just about cotton, but it was really more about debt and, um, you know, why are these households in debt in the first place? What are farmers borrowing most for, most for, and is it really just to grow a commercial crop like BT cotton? Mm -hmm. So I framed my PhD questions uh, out of this preliminary work, uh, and I went back last year to understand in what ways does debt influence farmer livelihoods in a context where fa farmers were newly growing um, the commercial crop cotton, which in this region is mostly BT cotton. So my primary method of doing this was to conduct what I called um, life and debt histories of farmers, uh, which are basically oral histories, but I was trying to do them, trying to do uh, around 14 to 15 of them in a short period of time. So, so life, life and debt histories, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, no problem. And uh, the region I worked in is a group of villages um, in Daulatabad Mandal. Mandal is an administrative unit in India for um, a group of villages. Okay. And this uh, belongs to the district of Vikarabad, um, 
which is in the state of Telangana in the south of India. Um, this, uh, the group of villages I was working in, the Mandal, um, is a rain-fed region, which means that less than 30% of the agricultural land is irrigated and farmers basically mainly depend on the rain for, uh, for water to grow crops. Um, the main growing season uh, is from around June, July to October, and this is called the Kharav season. And the winter growing season is called the Rabi, which is from around October to March. And if it's the rain, since most farmers depend on the rain, they grow in only one season, the rainy season, unless they have another source of irrigation, which is usually from bore wells. Mm-hmm. And yeah. around 80% of the irrigation in this district is um, from, by using bore wells. Whatever irrigation there is, 80% of it okay. is from bore wells, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so many, farm, many farmers, most farmers, uh, smallholders, do they have uh, bore wells or do most uh, just rely on the rain that, that falls? Most rely on the rain that falls, but those that do, have bo- those that do irrigate depend on bore wells. And there's been a shift in the crops that have been grown in the region. So, yeah, comment comment about that. Um, yeah, so um, some of the major crops right now that are grown in the region, um, the biggest crop that's grown is a pigeon pea, also locally called turdal or the red lentils that we eat. And this is kind of the main cash crop, a commercial crop that so farmers basically keep some of it to eat as well. And then most of it they sell in the market. And then they also grow some sorghum, mostly for self-consumption, uh, rice for self-consumption as well as to sell in the market. And they generally like growing rice if they have water for irrigation because rice has a minimum support price in the market. So they know how much they will be earning. And then they also grow groundnut and newly, so cotton has been grown in the region, but mostly by large farmers or farmers coming in from outside the region and leasing in some land uh, from uh, the farmers of these villages. But now it's the individual small farmers who are, who are growing cotton. So, so there's been a shift over the last, what? Uh, ten, five to 10 years. Five to 10 years where mm-hmm. sorghum has been in decline. Yes. Cash crops, pigeon peas, and rice have uh, been increasing, although they save some for their own family consumption, but yeah. sell some as well. Mm-hmm. And then, and then um, there's been an increase in the production of cotton with yeah. larger, larger farmers leasing the land from smallholders. No, the, the larger farmers used to lease it before. So this was like oh. before 20 years ago. So that's how cotton kind of came to the region. But okay. now it's not the large farmers, but now it's the small farmers with like even two acres of land who will grow some pigeon pea and will grow some cotton. So, so I, I think I know the answer to this, but, but mm-hmm. why, do they, why are they growing? Why are the far, smallholders choosing to grow the cotton themselves? Uh, that's a great question. And that takes me back to um, the debt issue, if you don't mind. No, please. Yeah. Um, so, so, so my questions were really framed around debt more than about cotton. So when I was talking to these farmers, uh, I did a series of interviews with each farmer and uh, these life and debt histories, I basically was trying to trace back and see what are the crops that they grew over their lifetime, if they changed any crops, why did they change it, um, when did they borrow money? For what purposes did they borrow money? So that was their debt history. From whom did they borrow money to? And then I also asked them about critical life events that 
do their children get married? Was somebody sick in the family? Did somebody migrate to the village? So with this, I was trying to understand really what are they borrowing from? What decisions are they taking and why? Mm-hmm. Um, and what came out is I was, you know, what reading the literature, you would think that they're borrowing a large part of their debt is because they're borrowing money to grow um, a high input crop like cotton. Yeah. But it turns out that, especially among the older farmers who had children, who have children that are married, uh, a large chunk of their debt is because of taking loans to get their children married. And, and the other reason that they would take loans is take large amounts of loans was for health uh, purposes. If somebody's sick in the family, for hospital expenses, um, they, would take, they would borrow a lot of money. And to repay this, again, so this is a rain-fed region. Um, if there are rains or if there's borewell water available, they could grow rice. If not, they mostly depend on uh, pigeon pea um, for income, and it's usually not sufficient to repay uh, all that accumulated uh, debt from marriages or health purposes, for example. Um, And so then they want to grow, they see people in neighboring mandals, so neighboring groups of villages growing cotton and getting, um, basically getting good profits. So that's how they started uh, growing the commercial crop cotton, hoping that, um, you know, they would get a better return. So to grow to grow cotton, it's double the investment for pigeon pea, and it's also almost double the return because uh, the yield is much more per acre of land. And um, so, it's all, so if they do get a good harvest, a good crop of cotton, it can go towards paying off a big chunk of their accumulated debt. But if the crop fails because of a drought, which are common in this region, um, or because there's too much rain, then the crop gets flooded. Um, so they lose their crop. And then they go deeper into debt because they would have borrowed money to grow this crop in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what I see is that they are um, borrowing money for non-agricultural purposes, which is accumulating. And then they're trying to use uh, or borrow money for more intensified or more uh, capital intensive agriculture. And then if, you know, the crop fails, they fall deeper into debt. But if it works, then they do get out of debt. Yeah, this is an element that uh, boy, I had no no idea of. So uh, yeah, it's so cool that we were able to arrange for you to to visit with us here and talking biotech. Um, so so really, the the principal driver in in the villages that you studied, the principal driver of smallholder debt is our our um, marriage loans, which are mm-hmm. independent of uh, of the particular farming system, and and as you explained, health reasons as well to help loved ones um, recover from health health risks and um, not not at all I mean I guess sure they accumulate they they acquire additional debt if they're taking on a high input crop and intensive mm-hmm. crop like cotton but um, yes. but really they their their principal debt is coming from these other non-agricultural um, sources yes and 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 the agricultural uh, debt also is from bore wells that is the tube wells mm-hmm. so not not only do they invest or borrow money to grow cotton but they also uh, at least the younger farmers they borrow money to drill bore wells so that they have a source of irrigation so that they can grow at least two crop two crops a year okay. uh, low rice um when there are no rains uh, and these bore wells are expensive um they can cost anywhere between 20 to 50,000 rupees. Uh, a dollar is about 65 rupees, I think, at the current exchange rate. Um, 
that I just looked up. So the average, um, just to give some figures for context, mm-hmm. the average income in a report I read recently of farmers is said to be around um, 30,000. So, so the, about 10% of farmers in India are said to earn more than 30,000. But at least like 70% of them are said to have an annual you know, net income of less than 15,000 rupees, which is roughly around... $250 or less. So their annual incomes are really, um, it's not much. And so so if you can just put it into context, like even the high uh, end of that, like if a farmer is earning 30,000 rupees per year, you can imagine a borewell costs you 50,000 rupees uh, yeah. to so grow cotton. Yeah. You know, basically taking more, two years to of, of hardly doing anything else to Ex- for it. Exactly. And to grow a cotton crop. Uh, so these are the figures that I'm getting from just my farmer interviews. So they vary by year, they vary by farmer, but like just on average, it would take at least 20,000 rupees of investment to grow a cotton crop. And or mm-hmm. some of them even told me they spent 30,000 rupees last year because they're spending more on pesticides. They're spraying more pesticides every year is what they told me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know more about that. Is that part of your? Was that part of your study, or or are you not able to comment on the reason for the increase in pesticide application? Unfortunately, that was not a part of my study, sure. so I won't okay. be able to comment on that. Yet. Good. Well, we look forward to learning more about that from maybe a future student of Paul's. So uh, yeah, but that, yeah, I, that sounds good. So um, is are they acquiring more debt? I mean, so marriage loans and health health issues in the family um are they acquiring more debt than in the past um you know setting themselves up for a, this requirement that to grow a, a, a maybe a crop that has certain risk market risk but but would bring them more you know um income is it, are there social changes that are driving them in this direction uh, some farmers definitely are because they don't want to be in debt. You know, some of them will tell me like, why should I owe somebody money? I want to repay them. And some farmers are pretty much gambling on just cotton, you know, mm-hmm. trying to drill bore wells, trying to get cotton. And the way they drill bore wells is also to me crazy. So there's no like survey of groundwater done, but they depend on a priest or an astrologer to like tell them what location to drill the bore well in, or they see that a neighbor has drilled a bore well and he's hit water, so they, they drill bore wells. Uh, I met farmers who drilled, one farmer who drilled 30 bore wells in one week and not one hit water. Yeah, 30. Wow. 30, yes. And he ma- but he managed to pay off a lot of his loans, at least half his loans, by, shell- by selling um, livestock. So he was a shepherd as well as uh, doing agriculture. So he had a lot of sheep that he could sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one way. So th- the farmers that have diverse sources of income, that is those who have livestock, have an additional uh, source of income, basically. So they can use that to help pay off uh, some of their debt. And then there is those farmers who um, migrate to the cities, uh, at least like two people in the family, usually the women in the family, uh, and maybe the sons will migrate to the city um, and work as wage labor during the dry seasons and earn money and then come back and try to pay off their debt every year. Mm-hmm. So so what about young farmers? Do they sort of acquire their own debt or do they ever, you know, are they ever responsible for debt that's been accumulated by the family? 
It depends on how um, they're farming. That is, if they're farming with their uh, parents or if they've separated and have their own piece of land. So those farmers who um, are, you know, doing agriculture along with their farmers, they do have to take care of the loans that their parents took for their marriage, for example. Uh, but the younger farmers who do separate from their family and have their own, you know, own family and young kids, they they usually don't have to bear the burden of their parents' debt, but they, the ones I spoke to have their own debt uh, concerns because they want to try drilling bore wells because everybody's doing it or try go- growing cotton because they see like their neighbors growing cotton and, you know, getting good, mon- uh, good profits from it. So are, are there farmers that are um, growing cotton, BT cotton successfully uh, in, in, in that area of, of, you know, of the villages you worked in and, and even beyond? Uh, yes, there are some, uh, there are at least a couple of farmers that I interviewed who told me that they were getting, they were making uh, good money with cotton. Um, but these are also farmers that had uh, bore wells, working bore wells. Uh, so in drought years, they could give irrigation to their crops and um, also better soils is what they told me. Mm-hmm. Some of the villages which had better soils, um, they had better chances of getting a good cotton crop. One of the facts that, that I thought was very interesting as I've studied this, not, not so much the farmer debt, but the BT, the relationship of the BT to the farmer stress, um, that it, there was a, a news release about a year ago uh, from India that talked about how the central, the central Institute for Cotton Research, which is a government institution, um, is working on producing BT varieties, not hybrids, not hybrids, because hybrids, um, if you save the seed of hybrids, they won't, they won't produce, a, you know, a, a crop of consistent quality and productivity. So, so hybrids, you know, have been a, a, a bit of a challenge because that's for Indian farmer, cotton farmers, because that's, you know, a, a seed cost they have to incur every year. But the Central Institute for Cotton Research is producing BT varieties, um, which would be publicly available. The seed could be saved. It'll initially be sold sold at low cost, and you know I could save and share the seed. Um, and 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 the interesting thing is these are BT varieties. So, um, you know, if the government obviously feels like the BT trait has value, maybe not in everybody's hands, and maybe not in every farmer's hands, but uh, certainly for cotton producers. So, what what about um, the the smallholder farmers? If if they're tempted to grow BT cotton, what are the risks risk factors there? What do they do they know how to best use it? Um, what do what do you think? Um, so this is actually a really interesting question because I did one of the questions I asked farmers was what is the type of cotton that you're growing, and they would just give me like the brand names of the cotton that came on the seed packet from different companies. Uh, So when I would ask them, do you know whether this is BT cotton or not? Um, They would just stare at me blankly and say, what is that? We have no idea. And they were some of the younger farmers who wanted to, at least to me, it appeared, wanted to appear knowledgeable. So they would say BT, oh yes. So some of them would say, that's the rain-fed cotton, right? And then there were some other farmers who'd be like, oh yeah, BT, that's the irrigated version of cotton. Mm. So then I asked them, how did they decide what brand of cotton you get. So they basically go to the seed shop um, that they trust and they ask the, the dealer there um, 
that they uh, to give them that they want to buy cotton seed and the seed shop dealer basically asks them asks them whether um they have irrigation they have water for irrigation what type of soil they have what are the soil conditions and based on that he sells them seed and gives so that's where their information about growing cotton is coming from based on what um uh, the farmers i interviewed told me um they're getting it from the seed shop they don't really know what bd cotton is it's just cotton to them mm-hmm. um and they depend on the information from the seed shop owners and also what pesticides to use or fertilizers to put from the shop owners yeah yes mm-hmm. yeah who have of course an interest in selling you know their products so yeah yeah that's certainly a, that's an issue that you know we, we see all over the world including the united states sometimes the supplier of agricultural inputs is for better or worse the sort of a trusted source of of information so yeah we we certainly see that in 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 the united states so but but clearly i think that the takeaway actually maybe i'll ask you to give give a takeaway what what is the what 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 have we learned through your research about farmer debt smallholder farmer debt in uh, indian cotton farmers and indian farmers really just based on, I just came back from the field a few months ago, so just preliminary findings, which are strongly pointing to this takeaway for me, okay. is that um, there's a lot of non-agricultural debt among smallholder farmers in India, which is leading to more capital-intensive agricultural choices and more debt. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's unexpected. I mean, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense, but I never heard that before. So, yeah, this will be... Uh, exciting to see, you know, see you progress in your data analysis and uh, in your final reports. And so, well, wonderful. Hey, listen, Vaishnavi, it's been Mm -hmm. uh, been a pleasure to have you uh, interview on the Talking Biotech podcast and, uh, and, uh, and look forward to meeting you in the future and perhaps uh, interacting in some other way as well. Yes. Thank you so much, Paul, for giving me this opportunity. It's been a pleasure. So, Thank you for listening, listeners, to the Talking Biotech podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Biotech. Write a review on iTunes and tell a friend to listen, as your support allows us to deliver more about exciting science to more people. I'm Paul Vincelli, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to TalkingBiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.